Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Good morning, City Beautiful. If you guys can start finding your way to your seats. Good morning, good morning, good morning to who I didn't see. Good morning to who you didn't get to see. If you didn't make it to this side of the room, this side of the room is my favorite, just saying. Um, A lot of good people over here. Uh, Yeah. So I'm going to challenge you guys to next time make your way to this side of the room because they really hold it down. Um, my name's Shav. Nice to meet you guys. If we haven't met before, um, I get the privilege and the honor of pastoring a church community that doesn't meet too far away from here called Tribe Orlando, which my wife should be speaking in about 30 minutes. So pray for her. Um, so she's doing that. But I also get to be your pastor's friend. Uh, I believe he called me his bestie this morning, so we're bestie official now. I think, that, yeah, just saying kind of a big deal. Um, last time we spoke, he said to my friend, you know, we kind of share language about beloved and all this other stuff. But he called me his bestie, okay? Um, but, you know, while he's out and doing this thing, he asked if I can come and share with you guys. And I know I've been following along, and I've been blessed by what's been happening in this series Because I think one of the great defining factors of our generation or our time on this earth right now as we know it is that we're a bunch of wanderers. Anybody ever felt like that? Like we just wander all the time. It's gone as far as maybe you bought a print before um, that says not all who wander are right? Because it happens. It was in your dorm room or it's in your house or it's somewhere. I know it is because, yeah, because we're like, this meets. Exactly. I'm not lost. I'm just wandering. And that's beautiful. It is Tolkien. I think it is Tolkien. But you know what is interesting? You know what is wrong? The only thing louder than her C.S. Lewis was the wrong coming from right here, okay? Um, So I think that whole idea has really defined a generation. It's defined a moment in our time, and I love it, and I understand it, and I get it. But it's interesting that the scriptures actually tell us about wanderers, and although um, I do think that all who wander are not lost, I also understand that the scripture tells us that those who wander, that they're tired. It actually goes as far as saying that their life force ebbs away. Because the truth is that wandering by definition literally means that you move about aimlessly. You don't know where you're going. I know, hurts our hearts because it's like, but that's the fun of it all. But it also says that those who wander, it just uh, it, it reveals to us the wanderers are really exhausted. So I want to talk to those who wander and don't lose their wonder, but also to those who just feel tired. Anybody ever felt tired? Anybody tired right now? Yeah, most of us, right? It, it, because hedging into this new definition of our culture. We're a lot of tired people. (laughs) I think it's because we're so consumed with doing that tiring or being tired almost becomes a a position or metric for status. It's like, how tired are you? How worn out are you? How busy are you? Have you ever said when someone asks you how you're doing, busy? That's actually not a feeling, guys. we got we to gotta work on that. It's just, it, it just doesn't work in sentence structure. Like, we need to do better. It's like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And then sticking around because it's interesting. Most of the times we ask, how are you doing or how you've been? And we're already kind of moving along. We're, we don't mean it's actually slow down and stop and hear the response. 
You'll notice that throughout this, uh, the different talks of different characters who are teaching us what it means to have this allegiance to Jesus, which sounds like the most Ryan Adams thing in the world, um, to have a year <laughs> committed and devoted to talking about. But we've been looking at these specific characters about how their wandering teaches us because the truth is, is that we learn from other people's mistakes. We watch and we see and we see. Uh, you've probably heard many of TED Talks talking about failure, right? Talking about this idea and the, the, the phenomenon that we have around risk. But so much of social media tells us that everyone is succeeding and thriving and we're all just like trying to order lunch. But the truth is, is that most people resonate with others' failures, shortcomings, or their mismarks because we learn from those things, Right? So the different times you guys have talked about Peter and his willingness to just kind of jump in without thinking. There's a lot of us who are impulsive and just jump in and don't really think things out, but we just jump in right away. When you hear about, you know, Saul turning into Paul and this religious uh, righteousness and even like this ability to kind of like think we're better than the rest of the world. Like, I know, I get it. You love Jesus. I'm not talking about you. It's just Saul. But the truth is that there's moments in our lives where we, too, must fall off of our high horse, right? And when you hear about Judas, dear God, Jenna, like, like when you hear those stories, like it's like you don't want to see yourself in Judas. Let's be real. Nobody was excited to go, yeah, me, I'm Judas. But the truth is that we're there because we have this in us. I, I wish it wasn't so, but it's true. In us, there's this ability to just miss the mark and not be as faithful as we thought we are, be a little sneaky or conniving, or maybe sometimes be looking out for ourselves more than anyone else. And this week, and our characters, we kind of go through is I, 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 I got to pick it a lot, right? I got to pick. He said, Hey, we're besties. Hello. Uh, he said, Bro, you can take first pick. What do you want? And I'm looking through all these characters. Yeah, for real. Uh, when I saw all these characters, I was like, Judas, no. <laughs> I was like, can't do that. Like, I'm looking at all these other ones. And just the way my brain works, like, I see this name on there. And I go, ooh, Mary Magdalene. I'm like, yeah, bald, burly, beefy guy. Mary Magdalene <laughs> makes so much sense, right? I was like, yeah, let's go there. Um, but I was like, Mary Magdalene, here's the truth. I'm, I'm going to be honest. It was not some deeply spiritual thing. My grandmother who passed away in 2018, her name was Maria Magdalena. Real life, they named her Mary Magdalene. Uh, <laughs> so when she passed, all I could think about was growing up and my very limited experience with any kind of church or any kind of faith tradition because we did not have one. Um, I say it all the time. You guys may have heard this story before as, we, as I've shared with you guys a couple of times in the past. I did not grow up in church. It was oddly enough, last week, or two weeks ago in our community, we had this discussion. We have these open-ended discussions, and we kind of talk um, because sometimes church isn't fair because I get to talk for the next 30 minutes, and you have to listen. So we kind of flip that and let people talk back. It's not necessarily suggested, but it's what we do. Um, and we were talking, and I said, just out of curiosity, how many people would say or identify that they grew up in church? And I was blown away with how many people uh, in our community grew up in church. So I'm going to ask you guys. How many of you guys would say that your history or your tradition, you grew up some kind of, going to some kind of faith practice growing up as a child, um, through your grade years, all that type of stuff? Anybody? Whoop, whoop, okay. Overwhelmingly so. How many of you didn't? Shout out to us. Here we are. Heathens. Hello. Uh, <laughs> hello, fellow heathens. Um, <laughs> we didn't. And so when I was 19 years old, the only memory when I, when I came into faith or I came into a relationship with Jesus, the only memory I had was of my praying grandmother, who was Catholic, 
and uh, this giant, like, shrine-looking picture in her room of, of Mary Magdalene. And I would say, you know, Abuelita, like, what, why do you, who is that? Is she fam? Or, like, like is that one of us? Like, what, what's going on? Because she don't look like us in this picture. Like, what's going on? Um, and I would remember her saying, <laughs> you would think it was some deeply spiritual thing. She's like, we have the same name. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So that's the, really the only grip I had. And then I thought to myself when I told Ryan, like, yeah, I'm going to go marry Magdalene. I'm going to go marry Magdalene. And then I started thinking, where will I find her in the scripture? Where can I find the big moment where the failure is and we go, ha, there we are. We see ourselves in each other's failures. Because the truth is when I started doing some research, she's named 12 times in all, four, in all of the four Gospels. So I got 12 examples. So I'm like, all right, 12 times. Let's go there. Surely there's a mistake within the 12 uh, scriptures. But the truth is, is that because there's four Gospels, those 12 scriptures are pretty much the same three stories told in each one, right? I think that math is correct. I'm not sure. C.S. Lewis, just saying. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know if it's correct or not, but I started to go, oh, there's not a lot to pull from. So I figured, why not just go to each one of them? Because there's three stories that I want to tell you. But there is something about learning from each other's failures that becomes almost easy, and it is routine for us. And I'm not, I don't think that's wrong at all. Don't get me wrong. I think it's right. I understand it because it's human. But then you ever notice that we don't want to learn from the people that we assume always got it right? We're like, I don't got time for you. No, no, no. Tell me the messy details. You see, but what I would like to encourage is just as a premise early on or suggest to you is just because people look like they're put together doesn't mean they haven't been through some things. Hasn't meant that although what you may see on a Sunday or in small group or in life group or hello on an Instagram highlight, just because of what you are seeing, that does not tell the full story. And I understand that as we look through these three scriptures, you might go, it doesn't say that. You're right. <laughs> but we can infer some things, and I will take a little bit of liberty, but not too much, just to put us into the story. Because my first thought is we, like Mary, must learn to stop disqualifying ourselves from intimacy with Jesus because of our past or our otherness. I want to talk about just for a moment and look in the scripture about how Mary teaches us and what we can learn or infer from her life and her understanding is that we cannot disqualify ourselves with intimacy with Jesus just because of our past. All of us have one. It's things that we're ashamed of, things that we wish we didn't do, things that we can't believe it was in us or that we thought that, that we said that. Anyone else carry the weight of that? Or it's just, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I think that. I, sometimes I don't like going on Facebook because I can't even, I'm like, I can't believe I preached that. <laughs> when the guy has like a memory from 10 years ago, I'm like, ew, <laughs> like, I do not like young shop. <laughs> I'm like, stop, stop saying what you're saying. You go to school. Um, but I remember thinking that there's a moment that we don't want. And then here's the truth. I'm going to speak to you, of course, as Ryan's bestie, as a pastor of a community. But I'm also, I'm also going to speak to you from this platform. I'm Puerto Rican. I grew up in Eatonville. If you don't know where Eatonville is, it is a historic black community here in Orlando, not far from here, fam. I will tell you an insight about my life growing up. I was the only person like this, okay? And so black community is home to me. That's where I feel most secure, most safe, where I seem most seen. 
I say that all to say this, is that my entire life moving out of Eatonville, moving away from Eatonville, I realized that what felt other, even in that space, what has felt other inherently because of brown skin or parents who don't speak English or grandma who raises us and cooks her food from what we grow outside, you know, whatever that looks like, I know what otherness feels like inherently. It's a story I'm born into. I can't do anything about it. So what I see in this moment from Mary when I say that we have to learn to not disqualify or stop disqualifying ourselves from intimacy with Jesus because of our past or our otherness, I'm like, hello, other. <laughs> Insert your other wherever that is. Maybe it's an ethnic minority. Maybe it's just a cultural minority. Maybe it's being a woman in a predominantly male-driven space. Whatever that looks like, like Mary. What I hope that we learn from in this moment, uh, uh, just off these three verses that it said here in Luke chapter 8, is that we have to learn to stop disqualifying ourselves. Let's read it. Luke chapter 8, um, verses 1 through 3, says this. After Jesus, or after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Here's one of my 12 references from Mary Magdalene in the scripture, and we hear about her past. We hear about Mary specifically having seven demons come out of her. Like, I don't know where you're at on the spiritual activity, charismatic, maybe. I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I'm going to let Ryan tackle all those things. But seven demons sounds like a lot. I don't want one. She got seven. <laughs> like, like, okay, overachiever, seven demons. Seven demons come out, as I said, it has come out of Mary Magdalene. This is telling me a history, a past. You know, most historians and scholars talk about just simply off of that little thing, talk about the emotional and mental trauma of someone who would experience possession to that level, okay? Careful, we're talking about possession. I'm sorry. But when we talk about seven demons... And what that looks like from a place of affliction, a place of, you know, just that internal world and wrestling, I cannot imagine. But what I do resonate with is that when it says that she is said to be delivered from seven demons herself, that when she comes to be with Jesus, that walk has cost her something. That allegiance, that faithfulness, that commitment to him cost her something. Because if she, was, if she had seven demons um, removed from her herself, my assumption, where I am inferring, is that the towns and the villages that she would be in, that they knew who Mary was. Have you ever felt like you cannot disassociate with your past because people constantly are going, hey, do you know Shav? Oh, yeah, the pothead? Oh, hey, do you know Shav? Oh, the one that used to, you know, do X, Y, and Z things? Or when you would come to church and they say, hey, such and such of a church, they're like, What? Anyone have a hard time disconnecting from their past? I can tell you a quick story. The other day, I was, or last weekend, I went somewhere with my family, and I get greeted by someone, and they're enthusiastic about how they greet me. I mean, they're, I, to me, they're a stranger, and they're hugging me. And, of course, just to let you know, I'm cool with it. I was like, all right, yeah. I'm like, hey, man, bring it in. Like, are you doing okay? Like, it's so good to see you. And I'm like, what do you mean it's good to see you? I don't know who you are. And so we do the fumbling thing where we're just, like, laughing and pointing. Ah, it's been a long time. <laughs> and you're hoping they say their name. 
and they haven't said their name yet. So I'm like, hey, meet my wife. And I'm hoping that she introduces herself, pro move. Um, he introduces himself. Like, Have you met my wife, Christina? Christina, this is and he, Andre. I'm like, my dog. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen this kid since I was in seventh grade. I'm 34 years old. I, I don't know, man, but 20 years or so, he moved away. He moved away, and he sees me, and he's like, bro, I knew it was you because I follow you on Instagram because I couldn't believe when they told me that Shav was a pastor. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, someone, I went to the barbershop, and they said, do you still hang out with Shav? No, I haven't seen him in 20 years. You know he's a pastor now? And he said, Shav, Shav? Like, you know, when you say it twice, it means more, right? They're like, I'm like, how many Shaviers do you know? But whatever. He's like, Shav, Shav? Like, you know that? Because disassociating from your past isn't just an individual thing. The people around you sometimes hold that power to keep you limited to your past and where you used to be and who you used to be and the things that you used to do. If we're not careful, we start adopting and identifying with that same language. You know, it says that she, along with these other women, were helping support Jesus' ministry out of her own means, which I love because I'm like, hello, powerful woman. Walking and living and being and being in the same space as the 12 and these disciples and holding down a job and supporting their ministry. Love that. Just like love seeing that because it's out of her own means, out of her own, hey, I've cleaned up my life. I've turned around. I've created and maintained a certain amount of wealth or, you know, power or resource. And with this, they're doing and making room for Jesus and his disciples. But I think this is a trap. It's too often we allow our gifts, our resources, or our perceived inf or affluence to confuse the importance in Jesus' story. I think sometimes the trick here is to learn from Mary how were you able to know that you are supporting his ministry, that you are out of your own means making room for these men to do this thing, and yet somehow also keep in check this thing that most people call ego. To not confuse or conflate our own importance into the ultimate story of Jesus. Christian, the trap for us, follower of the way, the trap for us is that we would confuse our story with the same level of magnitude or importance of his story. That we would have this way and how she keeps that in check. Again, we can infer or wonder what was that like. And I wonder if it's that she never lost sight of the version of herself who had seven demons to deal with. I think sometimes in our polished, cleaned up church ex uh, experience, we forget what it's like to be the afflicted. We forget what it's like to be the broken, the ones that used to be X, Y, and Z, you fill in your blank for your story. But it does not serve the ministry and the story of Jesus if we make to those who are also othered feel like they cannot obtain this relationship because of who they are or what they've done. You know, I think it's interesting that oftentimes it, it, there's this thing in us that cannot separate. There's a tension there. It's like you need to remember what it feels like to not have it all together, but you also need to transcend that and become something more beautiful. You know, I think we often allow the sting and the stain or even the memory of our past to rob us with intimacy. Nothing about her seven demon history made her stop following him, made her feel as if she did not belong. Nothing about looking to the left and to the right of her and finding out that Joanna and Susanna and all the other 19 Marys who were there, although they were othered and they were the minority, that they continued to follow Jesus. You know, I think 
We have to learn to uh, stop rehearsing and reliving language that would make us feel less than or somehow if I can just tell everyone how bad it was first and somehow that evens the scale or makes us qualified to receive God's mercy. What I fear in my own life is that I would limit myself to being just this older version of myself and never grow and mature and transcend that. I think that as we continue to rehearse and relive and even continue to use the same language to speak about ourselves, that we paint the same old picture and we don't actually do the hard work of growing into this more beautiful expression of what God has called us to be. As far as evening out the scale, I don't know if you do this, Enneagram too, so I do it all the time. You ever like disqualify yourself first before you even like, do anything like I don't want to bother you know it's hey I'm kind of good at that but you know not really I'm sure there's other people that are amazing at it and I'm just like a little bit amazing at it but they're really amazing at it. anyone talk like that about themselves just me you help me <laughs> because I do it all the time I'm like yeah I mean I do a little something you know and you start like disqualifying stuff because you don't want to sound like a certain kind of way fam if you're doing that because you're keeping ego in check, I'll let you keep doing it. If you're doing that because you think that qualifies you for what has already been freely given, I'm going to stop you from that. If you're doing that because you know that there's something in you, this ego monster, that if you feed it, it's raging, it's animal from the Muppets, and it knows one thing and one thing only, me, 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 right? It only knows one thing. Favorite Muppet, by the way. Um, but if you're keeping it in check because somehow you think that's what you must do to qualify yourself from God's mercy and grace and intimacy with Jesus, let me help you stop. Stop trying to even a scale that is so deeply slanted in your favor. That grace is audacious and scandalous and Mary teaches us that she never identifies again with her old self. She only walks into this reality with devotion that is appropriate when she recognizes her deliverance. When she recognizes her response to deliverance is devotion. It's, hey, I'm in, all in on this, and I'm going to stop talking about myself as that. And I'm assuming that every town she went into, they were probably like, here she go again. You get one of them back. <laughs> like, like, careful, you had seven. They jumped back on, you know, like all these type of things that there was always a story about her coming. Here's another, here's another one of our uh, 12 mentions of her in the scripture. And it's in John chapter 19, um, verse 25 to 27, because we're going to go straight to the Easter story. Here we go. All right. Near the cross of Jesus, simple, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And you're thinking, Shab, that's not about Mary. But she's there. Mary's in the space. And what I think that this is showing us or painting the image is that if we understand what is happening contextually is Jesus is on the cross. Jesus is taking on the cross as the atonement of sin of all of humanity. He's in the most painful, most grotesque version and, and, and way of death imaginable. There he is up on the cross. And it's talking about who's there. And I think it's important to realize who's there. Because he says, the writer tells us that who's there is Jesus' mother, duh, his mother's sister, auntie, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, another Mary, because you need two and it's powerful. Uh, and then Mary Magdalene, she's there. 
And then, of course, John is there later because we can understand that John is there because he says that Jesus talks to John. The reason why I think this is important is because what we're realizing is, is that when, when the way of Jesus or obedience leads us to the cross, we show up. We take up space. Mary teaches us by way of her life, by way of her character, that when things get messy, we don't phone it in. That when things get hard, not just for ourselves, but by the people that we're connected to, the greatest gift you give to your people is proximity. One of the things that I always ask our people in our community, one of the things that I've gotten used to saying is asking for permission. I say, hey, can I pastor you with permission and then hopefully with proximity? Like, because the idea is to assume, right, like anybody who comes on on Sunday is like to assume my role as I'm the pastor of their life because they were here on a Sunday. That's not true. Let me pastor you with permission. And then, of course, then with proximity because pastoral leadership is proximity. Just a quick little message. It is being with sheep, right? It is with smelling, feeling, knowing what's going on. And I think what we're learning by Mary's life is that when things get really hard, you just show up. She didn't do anything, (laughs) She didn't say anything profound. She didn't have like this moment here where we go, oh, Mary came through, right? There was no answer to a question. She's just there. And later in the scripture, it tells us what she's doing. She's weeping because things are hard. Things are messy. The one that she loves, her beloved, the one that has delivered her, the one who deserved devotion because of her deliverance is up on a cross, And I think it's important because we know through scripture and through culture and tradition and all the other things that no one else is really there. The Peter, that guy, our friend, the one that's there cutting off ears and doing all the hard work, walking on water and stuff, that guy, he's not there. It says nothing of the other disciples. It says nothing of all the people. What about all those? Where's the kid with the fish and the bread? Like, you know, the one that Jesus multiplies his lunch. It's like, where are they at? We're all the other ones who have seen miraculous things. I'm like, Lazarus, you couldn't show up. You were dead, and now you're alive. You can't show up. Like, hold on. What about the blind guy? Bartimaeus, you couldn't show up? Like, I think it's important to know who's there. Because the truth is, even in our own lives, when we go through things, the room shrinks. When we experience what a lot of people will talk about as shadowy feelings, what some people have referred to, you know, uh, uh, just the darkest days of their life, they'll notice that the room has shrunk. But what we have to be careful not to do, which clearly Mary is, is an example of this, is to think about all the people who are not there, but to be blessed by the ones who decided to still show up. The ones who said, I have nothing to say, I don't know what to do, but I won't go anywhere. I'll be close. I'll be in this space, you know, that gift of proximity. There's nothing like it. Intimacy is often built and fortified in the place of pain, whether our own or where we give or to whom we have given our allegiance. You know, I've heard it said this way by the prophet, uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I've heard it said this way at, at, at the holy place called the Red Table. Um, he said, loyalty is not sticking around when you have no options. Loyalty is choosing to stay when you have other options. Deep. Because what I see is also in Mary's life, there had to have been other options. Everyone else chose one. 
But Mary decides it is better to take up space and stay in proximity, even in the messy moments, to stay close. What we can learn from Mary is that we have to learn to endure the long night of our souls. And the gift to the community around you, the hope of this thing that we get to call and be a part of church, is that there would be people in the room willing to stand in that same space and say, I'm not going anywhere. I don't know what to say. I got nothing to offer except the gift of my proximity. Last one, which is a little longer, so I'll read it fast. Thankfully, I talk really fast. But in John chapter 20, just the very next thing, after Jesus has been crucified, after Jesus gives up his life, we're going to read the whole thing. Yes, the whole thing. I'll go fast. In John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, it says this, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, there she is again, went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they ha- I love John, by the way, favorite disciple for sure. Um, but he says, they have take- she says to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Verse 6 uh, then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb because he would. Uh, he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, by the way, also went inside. He saw and he believed. They still did not understand the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And the disciples went home. They went back to where they were staying. They left the tomb because although they saw and believed, they did not understand. So they left. In verse 11, here comes again Mary. And it says, now Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had, um, had been at one or sorry, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she replies, they had taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Mary's had enough. Thinking that he was the gardener, she says, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. 17, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them what he had said to her. Mary illustrates to us what we are to do with our disappointment. You know, I think that we've spent time, and I know that this community has, I know that Ryan has, I know that other speakers have, I know that I did after, the, uh, after Easter weekend, Road to Emmaus, we've talked about what disappointment looks like. We have to understand that disappointment isn't these things, you know, even in our language, we say, I just felt a little disappointed. No, disappointment sometimes feels like a lot. <laughs> Disappointment feels sometimes like, you know, and and the idea, again, just simply is that when you appoint something, you put something in power or in position. So when you're disappointed, you remove that. If something else doesn't fill it, there's a void. Hello, heart, feeling empty. (laughs) Hello, expression, feeling like you don't know why you feel the way that you do. You're disappointed. 
something that is meant to be filled now has a large void. Mary and the disciples are disappointed. This Jesus who they had given their life to, this Jesus that believed in, this Jesus that they had put all of their life into believing that he was the one, he is dead and in the tomb. And then to come to find out, he now left the tomb. It's like, Jesus, we can't even mourn or weep or do what we're supposed to do because you're not even in the tomb anymore. And I love that Mary is the one who illustrates to us what we are to do with our disappointment. We just keep showing up. You know, she shows up early that morning by herself, by the way. The fellas weren't there. I don't know what they were doing. But they weren't there. She was. I think there's something to say, again, that we, like Mary, must learn to what it, or what it means or looks like to show up even if no one else is coming. Have you ever had something happen or do something in your life where you decide, I'm going to go anyway. I don't care if anyone else goes. And most of the time, that's to that concert that no one else likes the music. But I'm saying like in spiritual stuff too, okay? <laughs> I don't care if no one goes. I'm going to go watch that movie. Like one win, but let's, get, let, let's, let's mature. Let's grow. Let's go even further. What happens when no one else wants to stay committed to the way of Jesus? What about when we go into different spaces, our rooms begin to shrink? Or you notice it's a small group, there's less people there. Or you notice that sometimes it doesn't feel the way that it used to feel. And then those feelings kind of dissipate where not everyone is showing up anymore. Will you still be committed to showing up? And this isn't a message about joining Slack, although you should join Slack, by the way. Um, but it is about what it looks like to stay committed when you're disappointed you know, the reward, what I love about what's happening here is that Mary not only shows up on her own when no one else will, but her boys, John and Peter, the ones that get all the credit, they show up. And the ones who are literally jockeying once again to be in positions of power, I ran faster than him. I got there first. I went in when he couldn't go in. I believed when I saw, even though he didn't understand, all these other things, but they both go home. They both go home, and Mary does this thing that other translations call she lingers. I love that word. It's kind of funny. But I love the idea of what lingering looks like. Because to me, lingering can look and sound a whole lot like the picture of what we think about wandering. You ever lingered somewhere? Maybe at that concert no one else wanted to go to, you lingered to meet the artist. Maybe you lingered because... You're on your first date and you both don't know what's about to happen, so you just kind of linger like, well, you had a good time. <laughs> like, I had a good time, yeah. You don't know what to do. Maybe you linger around the check because you don't know who's going to pay for it. You know, you just kind of linger. You just like, I'm here. I'm not going nowhere. I'm good. And you linger. Mary lingers. And here's what I want to say. The, res the reward is reserved for those who linger. And all that you do, do not forget to linger. Sometimes it is in the seemingly uneventful moments that Christ is revealed. I don't think she was doing anything spectacular. She had nowhere else to go. She's like, what do I do? And she wept and she felt and she grieved and she mourned and she would not go away. She lingered. But they already saw and they looked and they didn't understand why didn't she also leave because I lingered. Because it's seemingly in the uneventful moments that Christ is revealed. You know, Mary, if, we, if we're careful, you know, I, or if we're not careful, I think we just blow by her significance in this faith that we have and these practices that we carry and are a part of. Mary becomes the first evangelist and preacher 
of the resurrected king. Like he is the one that he reveals himself. So by the way, message, am I allowed to say that? I'm probably allowed to say that. Ryan will forgive me. Fam, fam, mom, dad, back me up. Please resist anything that would tell you that our sisters should not be able to lead. It's just not, and I know, I know there's a lot of traditions and I, I'm trying to be respectful, so please, please understand where I'm coming from. It just does not match what we see so clearly in Scripture, that Jesus trusts her to go and tell her brothers what she saw and message fellas about what we hear from our sisters. Believe them. Humble yourself to receive the good news that is be revealed through her otherness. And as I shift into this last space to land this plane, fam, be careful to have resistance against receiving the goodness of the glorified king from people who don't look like you, from people who don't sound like you, who, people whose language is not the same as yours. I'm going to cry. <laughs> Sorry. Our otherness is a gift to the body of Christ. The story of our origin, the story that we've been born into, that we can't do anything about, is not a shortcoming. It is not a limitation. It is a gift to the robust expression of the glorified King. And unless we learn to receive from people who do not look or sound like us, then we limit the story to just seeing a mirror of ourselves. So then who is king? Who is the one that deserves to be seen? Because we insert ourselves into the narrative and believe that it's us. I believe it because it comes from someone I look like, think like, believe like. It's limited. It's limited. And that's why I believe that Mary teaches us that something about her was like, I don't care if they don't believe me. I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going to go and tell the story. And that she recognizes Jesus in that moment when she calls her name fam. It's because she understood who was speaking to her. She recognized him. I want us to do something in practice because I understand that it's in those uh, seemingly uneventful moments that Christ is revealed. Mary teaches us to linger. Mary teaches us uh, what to do with disappointment. Mary teaches us that our story and our otherness is a gift. But also what she does is something that I think we have a hard time with, which is sitting with the silence when the, we don't know. It feels like at that empty tomb, at that silent tomb, that nothing is happening. I want you to consider your life and identify a moment where you feel disappointed, that you can identify what it is that has made you feel less than, one of the, a part of your story, whatever that is. I want you to sit with it for a second. I want you to sit with it, not to find solutions or resolve or an idea. I want you to sit with it just so that you can acknowledge that it exists. Because if we blow by it, it'll be so hard. I want you to ask Jesus to reveal himself in the face of disappointment, not in the absence of disappointment.
you know, there's things going on in my wife and I's life right now where I'm just like, I'm, I'm disappointed. And she's like, what are we going to do with them? I'm like, I don't know. You want to linger? <laughs> you just want to sit and see what happens? Because where else would we go? Where else would we go? I want to practice silence, you see, because we're so conditioned to look for like the power moment to find the voice of God. But sometimes it's in the silence that he speaks most clearly. I did this with our community. We have about a 14-second capacity for silence. That's about it. Mostly because if it's silent for too long, someone's going to start tearing in the name of Jesus, right? They're going to start clapping. or so. There's going to be something that happens. The spirit moved in the silence, right? Or the joy of the Lord fell in the silence. What if it's just silent? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go and four times as hard as our capacity with you guys. Why? Because we're going to practice together. I want us to practice silence for a minute, a real-life minute. Yeah, somebody's like, dear God, I'll tell you this. I'll I'll let you off the hook this way. I know that your mind will wander in a minute. I know it will. Wandering in those moments of silence, I don't want that to be something that doesn't feel like you can uh, come back from. Let it just be or serve as an invitation to come back. Every time it wanders, just go, oh, back. If you could do that internally, I think we'll learn how to practice these things. We're going to go for a whole minute. I know we'll fidget. If you got to close your eyes, close your eyes. If you, have to, if you have to do what you have to do to center yourself, maybe very, 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 like, internally, you got to repeat Jesus' name. That's fine, but don't let it happen audibly. I want us to practice silence. Let's get weird. Y'all ready? Three, two, one. Jesus, my prayer to you is that you would meet us in the silence, that you would find us sitting with and through the difficult, disappointing, and hurtful at times feelings in our lives. Jesus, may we be slow to move just to fill the space and the silence. Father, help us to do the deep and hard, perhaps even lifelong work of being comfortable in the silence and in the waiting. Father, may we, like Mary, learn that it is in those moments of lingering and waiting 
that the fullness of who you are, your plan, your thoughts, and your feelings towards us is revealed. Father, may we, like Mary, learn that it is not in the absence of our disappointment, but in spite of our disappointment, that we can continue to take up space. Father, may we, like Mary, learn that the most holy thing we can offer is often just proximity, to stay close, to keep showing up. Father, would you gift us with endurance right now? Father, would you help us to become greater lingerers, to become great, greater at just showing up for one another and not filling the silence with our own agendas, with our own ideas, but, Father, to surrender our wills completely and entirely. Do this in Jesus' name. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.